Just one year ago, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan spoke before the start of the Tour Championship and confirmed big changes coming to the Tour, laid out plans for designated events and a commitment from top players to play in the biggest events for greater prize money. But much has changed in the past year. A lawsuit come and gone, a framework agreement announced, and today, minutes away from hearing from Commissioner Monahan and PGA Tour President Tyler Dennis at Eastlake. We'll have you covered over the next few hours right here on Golf Today. Golf Today. Golf today on a Tuesday, Damon Hack alongside George Savarikas. It feels like a big day, an important day for the PGA Tour. It's a day that people have been waiting for to hear from PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan in an open press conference with the media, Q&A, to kind of have an understanding of what changes we're going to see implemented for the PGA Tour going forward to next mm -hmm. year, potentially an update on those talks and negotiations with the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Just a lot of questions we've been waiting to get answers to, and I guess from a golf media standpoint, I think fans of the PGA Tour are happy to see Jay Monahan back in the fold and in this type of form. No question about it. It's an important day. We've been waiting for it, and Jay Monahan, of course, has been the commissioner for six years. It's been an eventful six years on his watch. And now PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan on site at Eastlake Golf Club in Atlanta, and he is ready now to meet with the media. Let's go out there. Okay, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 2023 Tour Championship Week. It's the culmination, as you know, of an incredible season, and we are excited to crown our 2023 FedEx Cup champion in just a couple days here on Sunday at Eastlake. As is tradition, today is our annual State of the Tour press conference with Commissioner Jay Monahan, who's also joined by Tyler Dennis, president of the PGA Tour. We'll take some opening remarks from Jay before turning it over to questions from the media. Just as a reminder, if you could raise your hand, we'll bring a mic your way so we can get great accurate transcripts for you at the conclusion of the press conference. And with that, I'll turn it over to you, Jay, for some opening remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Laura, and uh, welcome everybody to the 2023 Tour Championship. Uh, as Laura mentioned, I'm just going to start off and share with you my perspective uh, on this season before we get into uh, question and answers that Tyler and I are happy uh, to answer any questions that you have today. Um, but reflecting upon the season, um, there are five things that uh, really come to mind, that this week is the culmination of a remarkable season, um, that thanks in large part to the performance of our players. The PGA Tour is in the driver's seat. Uh, that as we look to the fall, the FedEx fall in 2024, there is tremendous momentum behind the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour is leading our sport forward. And as we sit here today at the Tour Championship, uh, this represents the very best uh, of the PGA Tour. And so when you talk about the culmination of a remarkable season, um, this was a bridge year, a bridge year to the schedule that you now see for 2024, a year of designated events and full field events. Uh, 
And when we look back, uh, we see that new stars have emerged. Uh, we have had iconic moments. We have had staggering performances, staggering comebacks. And I think we need to look no further back than Victor's performance on Sunday uh, and Lucas's wins at the Wyndham Championship and the FedEx St. Jude Championship. 22 of 45 events uh, have been decided by one or fewer shots. Seven of the last 13 events have ended up in a playoff. The meritocracy, the difficulty of winning on the PGA Tour and the reward for the hard work that all of our players put in every single day has been front and center. And every single Sunday night when we crown a champion, it's been very obvious uh, the meaning that that has to all of our players. I would also say that when you look at our tournaments and the health of our tournaments, virtually every single tournament on the PGA Tour has grown year over year. That's been reflected uh, in the crowds and in the fan base and the following, something we're very proud of. Additionally, I'm very proud of the way that our players have embraced our fans and our fans have embraced our players. That really gets to the remarkable setting that we're walking into here at the Tour Championship. Now, when I talk about the PGA Tour being in the driver's seat, I think it's important to think about and, and listen to uh, and contemplate the facts. So as we sit here today, you look at the PGA Tour fan base. It's larger, it's more diverse, it's more youthful, and it's more engaged than it's ever been. PGA Tour only broadcast, we've had 87 million unique viewers. When those viewers watch, they watch an average of 71 minutes per week, which is pretty extraordinary. ESPN Plus, PGA Tour Live on ESPN Plus. I think you've heard me say 25 million subscribers, 60% of those subscribers are under the age of 35. And from the Century to the BMW Championship, PGA Tour Live has been the most watched live sports content on ESPN+. Again, another testimony to the engagement of our fans. Our social media platforms, we have 14 million followers. Those 14 million followers average 31 years of age. This is now a year where we're filming season two of Full Swing on Netflix. And as we sit here today and we think about the year that's been, I think there'll be some pretty compelling content for people to watch uh, when we get to season two uh, next year. I'm particularly proud as it relates to how we're engaging our fans to the way our network partners and our media partners have evolved and innovated. You think about Max Homa at the Farmers Insurance Open, the first mic'd up interview live during play. As we sit here today, 40 players have participated in mic'd up interviews. We now have players at the completion of their rounds going up and joining our network talent, providing insights into what's happening in the field of play and what their peers uh, are experiencing or will be experiencing. You have more access to our players than we've ever seen. 
There are more camera angles. There's new and improved cameras. Uh, there's new and, and improved use of data in the way that we tell our stories every single week, all of which is leading to deeper consumption and greater storytelling uh, week in and week out. Additionally, when you think about our fan base and you think about the pipeline, so for the PGA Tour uh, and the PGA Tour First Tee Foundation, uh, we, we are culminating a $200 million fundraising campaign, which is going to modernize First Tee curriculum, uh, essentially provide further support to our 150 US-based chapters, seven international chapters, our pathways to progression, are finding, are providing more opportunities for more diverse talent to make its way all the way up into the PGA Tour. You look at PGA Tour University and the short-term impact that's already having, as well as our commitment to PGA Tour Americas and the pipeline uh, that we're building, which will be reflected in this championship in years to come, is very, very strong. But all of that credit ultimately goes back to our players uh, and their exceptional performance uh, over the course uh, of this season. Momentum for 2024, making it to Eastlake is on everybody's list at the beginning of the year. As we head into the fall, uh, our FedEx fall, players are gonna be competing for their cards. When you get to the RSM Classic, those spots 51 to 60 provide access to our two first two signature events. Um, we think it's going to be a very compelling fall. You couple that with the 30 players from, four, from the Corn Ferry Tour who will matriculate to the PGA Tour, the exciting conclusion to the DP World Tour season and the 10 players that will make their way to the PGA Tour. There's a lot of exciting golf to be played uh, after we leave here at Eastlake. But when we get to Maui and the Century, and I just wanna take a minute and recognize um, you know, our team and all the great people that we've come to know in Maui and Lahaina, um, Max Navina, our tournament director, uh, he and the team um, are working every single day with the community there. We're in constant contact. I'm in contact with the governor. And you know, we hope to be a source of inspiration for the great people of Maui and Lahaina by the time that we get to, uh, to Maui in January. But this marks, this marks a, a new era because every single player that plays there starts with zero FedEx Cup points. And every single player that plays there starts with the goal of trying to get back uh, to Eastlake. And this is a year where players will be 24, where players will be competing for record prize money, uh, record bonus pools now eclipsing $500 million. We have eight signature events. And when you look at those eight signature events and you couple them with the, pl with the players and the major championships uh, in that 31-week sequence, you know, we have the equivalent of primetime matchups that other sports see as we go into 2024 that we think is a great benefit for our fans. At the same time, given the field size, limited field size for the signature events, early indications from players as they, as they outline their schedule for 2024 suggest that that balance 
that Tyler and the team have worked so hard to accomplish uh, is gonna result in stronger fields across the board given the shorter season that we have. Um, that coupled with the next 10 and the swing five, being able to identify the hottest players in the season and the hottest players at that moment, giving them the opportunity to compete with those players that have qualified to play the signature events, again, is gonna put us in a position uh, where we're gonna have some great storylines as we go through uh, and throughout 2024. So, the fact that we've had uh, our, our partners step up the way that they've stepped up uh, has, been, has been truly remarkable on that front. And again, going back, to, going back to the position that we're in, I think it's important to note from a, from a strength standpoint uh, for 24, we have $10 billion in committed sponsorship revenue $5 billion in media rights revenue committed both through 2030. We have 49 corporate partners who are committed to us, uh, who have been committed to us for a decade uh, or longer. We have, with the signature events, companies that have stepped up to underwrite increased purse levels and to help us enhance those events. Uh, additionally, on the venture side, importantly, PGA Tour Superstores, our partner Arthur Blank, here in Atlanta, uh, we're now at 61 stores. That venture business is having another record year. When we were here a year ago, um, alongside Tiger, uh, Rory, at Mike McCarley, uh, we announced the formation of TGL. Um, when it was announced, it was a concept. As we stand here today, it was a concept that was built on building six franchises in a technology-infused business model uh, with early week primetime matchups. We've now secured three franchise owners. There is a strong market for the remaining three positions. And from a player standpoint, there's more players interested uh, than we have spots available. Uh, so that's another thing that we're particularly excited about. I also think when you, when you look at 24 and you look at where we are um, and talk about momentum, um, we don't spend enough time on this and, it's, and, and, and I think now more than ever, it's, it's so important and that is our mission and our impact. So the PGA Tour by the end of next year will eclipse $4 billion raised for charity. When I was in front of you here during the COVID year of 2020, we announced that we would generate $100 million for inclusion-related initiatives by the end of, by, within 10 years. And we were gonna do that with and in partnership with our tournaments. We have now surpassed that $100 million. And I would just ask each of you to follow up with our team to learn more about the organizations we're supporting, the great work that's been done and our follow through uh, on that commitment. I also, and I'm gonna come back to Eastlake in a moment, but as it relates to our impact and think about the FedEx Cup playoffs, you go to the FedEx St. Jude Championship and you listen to Rick Shadiak uh, who runs the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. The impact that the PGA Tour has had on St. Jude going back to 1972 uh, the close to the over $65 million that we've raised, but more importantly, the awareness 
that we have provided for their mission has helped them grow, and we are now a fabric, part of the fabric of that community and part of the fabric of that organization. To be in Chicago last week with the WGA and Evans Scholars, 1,130 scholars are now receiving four-year scholarships through the Evans Scholars Program. That program continues to have an enormous impact on the 58 schools um, that Evans Scholars has a presence at. So our mission continues to, to deliver in profound ways. And also as it relates to momentum, uh, I think it's really important to, to note that if you look at the PGA Tour and you look at our, the commitment we have from our players, from Peter Malnati to Webb Simpson to Charlie, to Charlie Hoffman to Rory McIlroy uh, and to Patrick Cantlay, those five players who, have, who serve as our player directors, the addition of Tiger Woods as our sixth player director, uh, which is effective immediate, Adam Scott serving as our PAC chair who will join our board on January 1st of this year, every single member of our PAC, the fact that if you look at the names that were on uh, the document that I received, the document saying that players want to continue to enhance their voice and represent representation within our governance. Suffice to say that our athletes, I believe, when you look across sport, are more invested and engaged in the PGA Tour than athletes are in any other league. And I think that bodes very well for, for us as we move forward. In terms of the PGA Tour um, leading our sport forward, uh, again, when you go back to um, our framework agreement, we have put an end to the divisive and distracting litigation. We have uh, safeguards that are in place to put the PGA Tour in a position to control our future. And as I sit here today, I am confident that we will reach an agreement uh, that, that achieves a positive outcome for the PGA Tour and our fans. I see it, uh, and I'm certain of it. And I, I see it because when you look at our, the performance of our players, you look at the commitment of our players, our partners, our fans, um, all of our constituents, our tournaments, I feel like we're in the strongest position to be able to succeed and successfully conclude these negotiations in a way that protects the legacy of the PGA Tour on a long-term basis. Tour Championship, I know I'm talking a lot here, but uh, I haven't seen you guys in a while. Um, this does represent the best in the PGA Tour. And every single player that, that uh, that is here has had a remarkable performance. Every single one of them. Uh, they've earned their way here. Uh, and they have an incredible opportunity to add to their legacies and to create um, another great moment in their respective careers. And I'm just hopeful that as we get here to Sunday, we have another exciting um, conclusion to the Tour Championship uh, at Eastlake. Uh, and I'm certain that that's what will happen. But we also, we're here in East Lake. Uh, we've played a part in transforming and revitalizing this entire community. We will generate over $5 million uh, for East Lake and purpose-built communities. 
We're doing that thanks to the support of partners like FedEx, Coca Coke, Southern Company, uh, and Accenture. And we're doing it because there's a great man and a great family in the Cousins family that saw this. They saw this a long time ago, and we've partnered every step of the way uh, to help achieve what you see out here. And again, that comes back to the competitive strength on full display, and our impact uh, will be on full display uh, once again. So um, there's a little perspective on, on, on the PGA Tour, and uh, Tyler and I are happy to answer any questions that you have. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. If you could raise your hand, we'll bring a mic your way for questions. You covered it all, Jay. Back in the back. Hi, Jay, right here. Hey, hey good to see you. Good uh, to see you. You said, um, we hope to be a source of inspiration when we arrive in Maui this January. Are you committed that the century will happen in Kapalua? Absolutely. Um, but I think at this point, there's so many unknowns. And we want to be respectful of the challenges. We want to we help be a part of the revitalization. Uh, there are a lot of considerations. Um, we're, we're committed, you know, if it, if, it, if, if it makes, if we're allowed to, if we're invited, if we're embraced, given all that needs to be accomplished, we will be there 100%. Um, but I think at this point right now, that's outside of our hands. Our focus is on, you know, what can we do with and through Max, with and through great people like Mark Rolfing, with and through the governor, um, you know, to continue to lean into what our players from Colin to Xander, you know, I think John captured it very well last week. Um, you know, the PGA Tour, when moments like this happen, um, this is when we're at our best. And so we don't have the answer to that right now, um, but we want to do everything we can to make certain that that's a moment um, for the people of Maui that is entirely helpful and inspiring. And so, and I'd also add that our partner in Century um, has been there every step of the way and is, you know, doing some pretty remarkable things right now alongside our team, and we'll have more to add on that front. But we are hopeful to be there. Ask the provincial Atlanta question. Given all the, the foundational changes coming here with the tour, what can you say about the, the future of this event at this place in the long term, uh, you know, five years down the road and, and beyond? This tournament is, um, is extremely well positioned. I mean, I just see the FedEx Cup playoffs um, and the tour championship at Eastlake only growing in significance as we go forward. Um, the FedEx Cup is foundational to the PGA Tour, and, you know, making it to Eastlake is foundational to our players. So 
Um, we have, we continue to invest in and around uh, the event itself. We continue to be received uh, by this community exceedingly well. Our ticket sales are up 20% year over year. Uh, the team continues to grow um, this tournament. Um, so at this point, you know, I think we're, you know, as you look to three to five years, as you said, um, you know, this tournament is, is very well positioned. And I think with the work that's gonna be done to the golf course starting next week, um, I think that should give you every indication alongside the fact that our, the partners I mentioned earlier are long-term committed to the Tour Championship at Eastlake. Um, I expect to be sitting up here in front of you for many years to come this week. Yeah. Jade, a couple in the framework agreement, if I may. Yeah. Um, firstly, what would you say to those of maybe cynical disposition who, who would suggest that this was purely a mechanism to stop the litigation which you described and that nothing else beyond that actually needs to happen now you've, now you've put that away. What would you say to that theory? I would say that we operate in good faith and, and I see that on both sides. And that framework agreement, which is an agreement to reach an agreement, put us in a position to reach an agreement, those safeguards that are in place and our commitment to moving from, you know, the divisive nature of the relationship we had to a productive one, for us to be able to make a fundamental transition to our business with the formation of NUCO, to have an investable entity for PIF to be able to invest in that didn't previously exist, for the PGA Tour to, you know, be in control of the future of men's professional golf and for us to be partners. Um, if we were gonna end the litigation, we would have just announced that we were ending the litigation. Um, and our teams, are, if you saw the amount of conversation and the time that the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and PIF are spending um, working forward from a framework to a definitive, I think you'd see that um, the sincerity of the efforts there. And specifically on live golf, in your mind, does that exist in two, three, five years' time? Because that would seem contrary to the development plans you're speaking about for your own tour. I think, you know, there are a lot of questions that are specific questions that are going to come and have come to me as it relates and have come to others as it relates to elements of what is in the framework agreement and elements of what we're talking about. I'm not gonna talk publicly about them until we've completed those discussions and I can answer that question specifically and directly. Damon. Jay, you mentioned players reaching out to you wanting to take more of a governance role in the tour. Did you interpret that as an indictment of how the tour has been run over the last few years? I did not. Um, I think there is, one thing I'll add, Eamon, is that um, it's not like all of a sudden there was a point in time and a lot of players, you know, reached out to say they wanted to be more involved. If you go back to last summer, if you go to Hartford and the announcements that we made when we were going to be launching a series of designated events to the announcements that we made here, um, and ultimately to the announcement of June 6th and the aftermath of it. We're out every day, you know, Tyler, our player relations team, talking to our players, 
um, you know, getting their perspective uh, at the, you know, and, and trying to be as communicative as we can about where we are. And I look at this as not an indictment, but a very positive, positive message. And, you know, for us to be in a place where our players want to be more involved, candidly, we've hired a player, an advisor for our player directors. Um, this is a very complex situation. And if you're a player director or you're a member of the pack, this is more complex than any other period of time. Uh, and I feel like we've listened, we've responded, and now we have the right people, the right process in place for us to be able to move forward and determine that future. Um, but you, I, I look at it as a, as, as a positive and something that I and we embrace and quickly embrace. It's, it's a living, breathing thing, you know, week in, week out, being out here, seeing over many years and all the different, you know, things we've had to tackle with the schedule or other changes to tournament regulations. The last couple of years have been very positive because there are more and more players actively engaged every day in thinking about the PGA Tour. It's an, it's an association of professional golfers and how to make it better. So like Jay said, I mean, I feel that every day in player dining and on the range and when we see players, I think that's probably one of the most positive outcomes of the last couple of years. Doug and then Zach, please. Jay, as you talk about, over here, sorry, as you um, talk about the confidential nature of the discussions going forward on the, on the agreement, uh, it's one thing not to have answers or thoughts or speculation mm -hmm. for a public question, but how do you deal with players who also want to know stuff or frustrated and, and feel like they were left in the dark in the first place mm -hmm. and go to meetings and come out of it and say, we didn't learn anything new? I mean, surely they're getting, I would think they're getting frustrated by that. I think the way that we, or the way that we're dealing with that is that we're following our governance. And we have six player directors that are on our board. As I just mentioned, uh, we have uh, an advisor in Colin Neville that's, who's advising them. Um, we have an investment bank in Allen and Company. We've had the opportunity to, as Tyler just mentioned, um, really going back to June 6th, to have individual conversations, to have a two and a half hour player meeting at the Travelers Championship, to have a player meeting uh, at, in Memphis, to having so many one-on-one -on -one conversations where we're talking about the process that we have, the transparency that we're gonna be providing uh, as would always be the case with our player directors um, and letting them know that this is standard. Like anytime you talk to, um, you know, a leader of any other organization, once you get to this position, um, it's pretty standard that, you know, there, there isn't a lot that you're going to be able to share, but we continue to reinforce the fact that the framework agreement is ultimately, is the path that we're on um, and when we're able to share more information, we will. Um, but it's also, I think they also understand that with the governance we have in place, you know, we're not gonna be able to, you know, it's our job to put forward the best possible um, construct with PIF for the future. And we're gonna take that back to our board 
and ultimately they're going to decide whether you know we're going to move forward with it. I think players have an, a, a comfort level that ultimately that's you know that that process is one is that's that's a process that they're getting more comfortable with now that they understand it. A quick follow from yeah. from your perch. How how would you gauge um, the the mood of the players from from June six to now, and if it's changed, what and why is, has it changed? I think you'd have to ask the players that. But for me specifically, um, first of all, the players are focused on the FedEx Cup playoffs and the Tour Championship, and I I I. I have, from my conversations and from the great work that our team has done, um, I think if I were to succinctly put it, and this is the way Jack Nicholas put it to me, the proof is in the pudding. And so I think players are now saying, okay, I understand what we're trying to accomplish and why we've taken this step. Um, I understand that, you know, the confidential nature of what we're dealing with and how you plan to handle that within the governance. And at this point, I think players are focused on their play and they know, you know, as we move forward and certainly as we move towards the end of the year, um, there's a responsibility and expectation as from, you know, from them towards, towards me and the team that, you know, we're gonna be in a position to communicate um, a positive outcome for the PGA Tour. Zach. Hey, Jay, uh, Zach Klein from Channel 2 here in Atlanta. Good morning. Um, I'm just curious to get your take on what happened with uh, Max and Chris uh, over the weekend. Obviously, your sport, there's not a constant cheer like in other professional sports and the advent of technologies and live gambling. Uh, the unruly fan can cause an immediate reaction and disadvantage. Um, what's your concern level on that? And are there any steps you guys can do to mm -hmm. kind of curb um, this going down the road? Well, first, thanks. First off, um, you know, we take fan conduct and safety of players, caddies, and everybody on site with the utmost seriousness, and uh, that those fans were ejected immediately. Um, you know, you, to zoom out on a wider context to that, uh, you know, we've we've long faced um, the balance of you know what is most special in golf is that every you know, fan can have a front row seat. It's unique among sports. Um, and the environment we put out at a PJ Tour event, we, we believe is is best in class. So, you, you know, you balance that with the fun. Uh, and that's 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 long been an issue out here, really, since the beginning of the PJ Tour. We have a robust uh, and comprehensive fan code of conduct. We have an extensive security apparatus and plan each week. and. Uh, you know, we feel really confident about about all the aspects of that. We spend a good deal of time monitoring it each and every day, and we take it very seriously. I'm just going to add. I think Max put it perfectly. Our fans are tremendous, um, and the you know the fact that this happened is unfortunate. As Tyler said, it was dealt with. But you know, our players have our fans have great appreciation for um, you know the the integrity of the competition, um, the respectful of our players. And, you know, we have seen that continue to be the case uh, and expect that to continue to be the case. We have tremendous fans that have tremendous respect for what these players need to do in order to provide and present the tremendous performances they do. Hey, Jay, uh, just two, two things separate. One, I wanted to follow up on Hawaii real quick. Okay. Um, is there... 
Is there a need to have a backup plan, like looking for another golf course, perhaps on a different island just in case, or are you not to that point yet? All of our, all of our efforts are on, and all of our attention is, is, um, is to try and get back to Kapalua um, and to try and be as close to what we've been in the past. To your point, you know, if it's, if it's, if it looks like that's not a possibility, then we'll go to plan B. We have, there's no, I want to be clear, there's no indication um, that we won't be back there. We're just trying to be respectful. Um, and as far as the negotiations on the framework, framework agreement, can you quantify where they're at? Is it just at the beginning? Are you far along? Um, you know, can any recent talks? Yeah, um, quantifying is always an interesting thing when you're talking about a negotiation. Um, there are frequent talks. Uh, Tyler and Ron uh, Price, uh, who did a tremendous job in my absence, are leading conversations with, uh, with the team from PIF. And I would just say, given the fact that there's frequency uh, of talks, including Keith Pelley from DP World Tour, um, we're probably right where I would expected that we would be, um, but there's um, yeah. So that's there's an intensity and there's an urgency and there's you know there's a lot of work, good work that's being done. And just just Bob, just to kind of add to what I said in Memphis, um, you know, Ron and I have been actively engaged weekly, multiple times a week. And and aside from the the aspects of the framework agreement that we've talked about. There's just a lot of work streams that go into a deal like this between the PGA Tour, the PIF, and the DP World Tour. So it's, uh, it progresses daily, and it's very positive and collaborative in nature. Do you have any reason to believe you wouldn't get it done by January 1? We're confident that we're going to reach a positive outcome for the PGA Tour. And as it relates to reason not to believe or believe, you know, at this point, you know, given what Tyler just outlined and what I said, I, um, I, no, I don't have any reason to think that we won't be successful. Eamon? I'm sorry, I didn't see you with the mic. Please, go ahead. Hey, Jay. David Ramsey with Front Office Sports. I think there's a lot of anticipation that 25 might be the big year with a lot of changes with players coming back. Is there any scenario you can envision where banned players could come back to the tour in 2024 if they wanted to and if they took the necessary steps to come back? I, I appreciate your question. And as I just said earlier, these are the kind of topics and, dis you know, and discussions that we're having right now with PIF, so to be able to project what's going to happen, um, you know, I don't have an answer today, and when we complete our discussions, we'll have an answer for that question. Um, so that's a non-answer, but that's my position. Evan, go ahead. Jay, over here. Good to see you back. Good to see you. Yeah. Uh, what What is a positive outcome for the PGA Tour? What is a positive outcome? Mm -hmm. It's what I said earlier. It's if you just go back to the nature of the agreement that we struck, the framework agreement, it, it is the PGA Tour uh, partnering with PIF, having PIF be a minority investor uh, in NUCO, 
have with the PGA Tour with full board uh, governance and operational control uh, of the tour and ultimately the men's professional game moving forward. And for fans, for us to be able to use um, the capital to be able to, you know, invest back in our product, you know, to do things like, you know, further reduce commercial inventory in our broadcast, to further invest in um, our data businesses, to further invest in um, our media business, to potentially invest in entities and companies that we think are going to help us grow and diversify our fan base in the game. Um, you know, we're not an organization that, that, that has the capital to invest. And so to be able to be in that position and do that productively and constructively for the tour and our players, but also for the game, I think, you know, the, 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 the decision that, that, or the, the thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, you get the question about 25, but it's also, you know, where are you going to be in 10 or 15 years and the sport of golf? Uh, and the PGA Tour uh, are in a really strong position, thanks to our players. I mean, the work that was done coming out of COVID, you know, what's happened, everything I, I've outlined here before. And, you know, we wake up every day saying, how can we get stronger relative to other sports? How can we get more young people around the world into our game? Um, we have a responsibility to do that um, in addition to making this the strongest tour it can possibly be. And I think it allows us to do both. Um, and so that's, that, that to me is, is, is a successful outcome. Amen. Jay, with all due respect to your privacy, are you able to provide an update on your health? And also, do you intend to follow up as Ron Price and Jimmy Dunn did and testify before the Senate? Yeah, I appreciate the question about my health, Eamon. I would... Um, I, I would put it this way. Um, I have never felt better mentally and physically than I feel right now. Um, and obviously I had to, um, I had to take some steps to go from where I was to this position. Um, but I'm a work in progress. And so I'm working on the things that I've learned that they're gonna help me in my life uh, and help me in this role. And that's something like it is out here for our players, that's something I have to work on every single day. Um, that's how I feel, but more importantly, you know, my doctors, my wife and girls ultimately, um, you know, that's how they feel about, you know, about how I'm doing and that's, they are my arbiters. Um, but I, I really do, I really feel I feel as strong as I felt in a long, long time. And I feel inspired and ready um, to go from the position we're in ultimately to um, generate a really positive outcome for the PGA Tour. And I, and I came back ready to do that alongside my peers and our players. And, um, but uh, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to, to step away and, and really assess where I was and and, and put myself on, on, on the path that's gonna allow me to do that. Um, and your second question um, was, bear with me here. Yeah, I, first of all, I think um, Ron and Jimmy did a, 
you know, they answered the call quickly. They went up there. They answered all the questions that were asked of them. We've provided all the information that's been requested of us. Um, while I was on leave, I was asked uh, if I would testify, and I immediately said yes. My dates didn't work, uh, which is why Jimmy and Ron testified. So I feel like they've answered um, all the questions, but, but to, your, to your point, the PGA Tour will continue to comply with the requests that come our way, and if there's a request of me to be there, then I will be there. Steve. Yeah, uh, Jay, I, what you know of the, the changes coming to the course here, uh, what do you think? And had the tour at all suggested that they, they needed to, to alter the course a little bit here? Yeah, so, you know, we're, we are very excited about the changes. And um, just, to, just to talk about them briefly, uh, it's really a, a renovation uh, off of the original Donald Ross layout and style going back to 1949. There's aerial photography that the club has acquired. They're working with Andrew Green. And uh, we're excited about it because you're going to see the classic features of the course restored, you know, bunker location style, some of the green angles and so forth changed and, and little, you know, aesthetic details. There's, there's, some, there's some shifting of holes in some places. And so, you know, in that regard, it, it's just going to continue to be a classic venue that we can contest our season-ending championship on. Uh, you know, a, a, a side uh, benefit of all that is, you know, new infrastructure, ability to drive the best agronomic conditions here in Atlanta uh, for our season-ending event. So we're, we're really excited about it, and the uh, club's got a lot of work ahead here the next year, and we'll, our team's very integrated in that uh, across our rules officials and uh, other uh, experts and so forth. So it should be a great year to come here. Well, had the tour uh, <laughs> expressed uh, this, uh, there was a need to do this? No, you, you know, the, the the no is the short answer uh, in the short term, but, you know, every PGA Tour venue has to continue to invest in itself, and it's, it's a natural evolution. Uh, part of it is the growing infrastructure of tournaments, you know, outside the ropes and inside the ropes, agronomy, the, the, the changing way that we take care of the turf grass and so forth. So that's, that's a natural cadence that occurs at all of our venues, Colonial Country Club for the Charles Schwab Invitational is under a full renovation right now. Uh, so we're used to that, and it's something that is generally planned out years and years in advance. It's been a conversation we've been having here at Eastlake for many years. Dylan? Jay, back here. How would you characterize this season for you personally and, and how you've handled, I guess, what are probably unprecedented circumstances? I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> um, to me, when I assess my own performance, I usually don't do it in points in time. And ultimately, I think um, we're sitting here in August, and yes, it's the we're competing for the FedEx Cup. Um, and I'm determined to put the PGA Tour in the best possible place by the time we get to the end of the year. And as I said earlier, um, I see it, um, and I'm certain that's where we're going to end up. And I fully acknowledge um, that this hasn't been an easy road, and I fully acknowledge there, there, you know, for that, for that, you know, for that matter, that there are some things that are the basis for your question, 
but ultimately, I, I really do feel very strongly about um, the result we're going to have. And more importantly, I, like you look at, I mean, this year, so we were sitting here a year ago, and if you had told me that we'd be in a position where these incredible stories would have developed, these remarkable performances, and I, there's so many of them, I, I can't even, I don't want to start naming them because then I'm not going to be naming another player that had a remarkable year. But what's most important through this all is that the PGA Tour has gotten stronger. I mentioned all the data earlier and the fabric of competition, the merit meritocracy of the PGA Tour, that feeling that our fans have when they're watching uh, our tournaments come to conclusion in addition to our players and the support we have it's not me. The model itself continues to progress and grow. Um, and that's the broader team effort, and that's what I'm focusing on, making certain that we continue. And just to take a, a bit of a left turn then, okay. uh, the DP World Tour's new schedule was just released, and there are some significant changes. Yes. I'm, I'm curious uh, how you think those fit in with the PGA Tour schedule. Yeah, I'll, I'll start and add in, Jay. But the, um, you know, the, the way to think about the DP World Tour is where we always start with the players. And there's long been a very strong and steady group of players who want to play on the PJ Tour, but they're from Europe. Maybe they grew up, started their careers out there, and they love it. And so we have worked really closely with the DP World Tour for many years, but certainly since we forged our strategic alliance uh, to just think about players and what's best for them. Uh, I think everyone's aware that next season, for the first time, we're going, we formalized that pathway of 10 cards for the top 10 DP World Tour players onto the PGA Tour. We're really excited about that. That's long been an informal pathway. And so, you know, the next piece was the schedule, the, the bringing the Genesis Scottish Open onto the PGA Tour calendar as a co-sanctioned event was you know, the, the, the most obvious thing. Uh, that's been a great uh, couple years in a row we've had there where for many years PGA Tour members have played there the week before the Open. Uh, and so their, their latest schedule uh, announcement is something that we've co been uh, collaborating together on and thinking about how to best allow movement between the two tours. We're excited about it. As you know, um, many of the top players Certainly, uh, those who have made it to the BMW Championship and then here to the Tour Championship, they have the ability to now uh, craft their own schedule in the fall. There's there's great FedEx Cup fall events that they love to play in, uh, and and they will continue to support those. But we've we've now created the ability to to go to some of these premier DP World Tour places like the BMW PJ Championship at Wentworth. And so forth. So, so we think it's going to be great. We're really excited about it. I was, I was proud to see the announcement of the DP World Tour schedule. Then I'll just add that, um, based on the nature of our partnership with the DP World Tour, and the fact that I serve on the DP World Tour board, you know, the amount of um, dialogue and conversation, and and candidly, our commitment to uh, the DP World Tour, I think, is reflected uh, in that you know, in that schedule. And we got a lot of people at the PGA Tour that are working alongside Keith and his team. And I'm, I'm in contact with Keith as much as I am with anybody else uh, in the golf world and uh, proud of what's been accomplished there.
Time for just a couple more, Doug. Tyler, um, I don't know if you have a particular uh, work stream on the FedEx Cup, but have you done any projections um, on the on the 50 who made it to Memphis, uh, getting in all the signature events? What kind of a advantage they would have over the rest of the field as it relates to being guaranteed more spots with more FedEx Cup points, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, we we have, Doug, and we, that's something that actually was a key focal point going back to the beginning of this year, when we when we were looking about what ultimately now has been revealed as the schedule, you had the eight signature events. They occur as part of a, a wider cadence of big events with the Players' Championship, the majors. There's 31 weeks leading into the three playoffs. And we spent a lot of energy with our data analytics team building a predictive model to look at what, what could happen and, and what would happen. And to, to Jay's point about meritocracy earlier, uh, there, there were two things that were really important to us. And, and one was that we kept uh, focus on the, the, the balance between those that retain their card, you know, the retention rate of the top 50 and the top 125 versus the new players. Uh, and then also related to that was how many new players uh, got their cards. So those, you know, we, we built a, well, I shouldn't say I built, our team built a, a, a comprehensive model that looked at that. And, um, you know, we see that in the future, based on that model, the retention rate of the top 50 is, is very, very similar to what it's always been. I think on average it's about 64%. So in other words, 38% of the players each year would be new in the top 50 from year to year. And there were, on average, in all those models, uh, over 70 additional players that ended up playing in the signature events beyond the top 50. So, so we think we found uh, a great model between all those pieces of the puzzle, including the FedEx Cup point system, to keep that meritocracy and that pipeline of new players strong out here on tour. Yeah, about 64% on average retain their card. And, uh, and that's very similar if you look historically to, to you know, changes every year, of course. Okay, we'll wrap it up with Eamon and Rex, please. Jay, you mentioned earlier that the board is going to decide whether or not the Saudi investment is a positive. Do you have an alternative investment if the board says it's not the outcome they want? Well, right now, Eamon, my focus is on, you know, on the negotiations with, with PIF. Um, and that's where all my energy and attention is. But I think, uh, you know, given the amount of attention um, that our framework agreement has received, um, and, and in, in particular, the fact that we've created um, a new co, PGA Tour Enterprises, I think the realization that there is an entity that can be invested into with the PGA Tour uh, in the uniqueness of being able to invest into a professional sports league of the caliber, quality, and sustainability of the PGA Tour obviously has generated um, a lot of interest. Um, but, you know, in terms of alternatives, you know, right now, you know, the, the, the sole conversation that we're having um, is the conversation we're having, you know, with PIF. 
Last one, Rex. Tyler, this is probably for you. Is there any update on the model local rule since the comment period ended? And can you envision a time when they would play one golf ball at PGA Tour events and another golf ball at some of the majors? Yeah, we haven't had any update uh, following the conclusion of the period. Uh, you know, there's a lot of constituents that the USGA and the RNA are hearing from during that six-month period. You're aware of, uh, you know, our, our position, what we've heard from our players and all of our constituents. And, uh, you know, our, our plan is, is to continue to collaborate uh, around uh, a single rule that can make sense. Uh, it's what we've done really since 2003 when uh, we, we made a statement alongside uh, the RNA and the USGA about this, and there's been eight rule changes that we've supported through that process. So we, we're talking to the USGA and the RNA regularly, uh, and uh, I know they're evaluating that, so there'll be more news in the coming you know, months for sure on that. Fantastic. Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Tyler, for your time. I've been asked to remind you that John Rahm will be in the media center, regularly scheduled location at 1030 for his pre-tournament press conference. Thank Thanks, you all. Everyone. Let's have a great week. Thank you. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan and President Tyler Dennis spoke for about 60 minutes in Atlanta, Georgia, site of the Tour Championship at Eastlake. Jay Monahan saying the PGA Tour is in the driver's seat, pointing to the meritocracy of the Tour and quality. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed of the golf back on golf today here are the 12 who will make up team Europe for Suzanne Pedersen now that she has made her four captains picks she called it Europe's best team ever a notion Paige McKenzie wholeheartedly endorsed top to bottom George strength to strength yeah, appears that way one through 12 and if we flash back four years ago when Captain Pedersen was player Pedersen and Putting the finishing touches on a European victory in Glen Eagles. The clinching point as they won 14 and a half to 13 and a half. Over Team USA, they have now won two straight and trying to make it three in a row heading into Spain next month. Pleased to be joined now by European Solheim Cup captain Suzanne Patterson. Suzanne, we heard you break down each and every one of your single uh, captain's picks last hour on Golf Channel. When you look at all four in total, what were you hoping to accomplish to round out your team 9 through 12? 
Well, uh, first and foremost, I'm extremely proud to have 12 fantastic players uh, on the European team. Uh, the four picks, I mean, uh, I guess Madeline was uh, an obvious one uh, next on the ranks. Gemma uh, with her consistency and obviously I went with experience and uh, the feistiness with uh, both uh, Caroline and, and Emily. Uh, um, just uh, great match players and uh, I think it rounded off a great dynamic of the 12 players that we have on our team. Suzanne, what type of team will you try to build in terms of personality? <laughs> Obviously, if you know me, I want a feisty, energetic uh, team. Uh, but at the same time, we have a huge amount of experience among the players. And we have, uh, well, three rookies. Uh, I don't really look at them as rookies. I mean, they've had outstanding seasons uh, over the last two years. Uh, Maya, dominated in Europe, uh, has kind of get it, gotten to know her place on the LPGA this year. Lynn. I mean, uh, hands down, uh, one of the best talents I've ever seen. And uh, Gemma, uh, a consistency, uh, it's hard to beat. So I think overall, uh, on paper, I don't think we've ever been stronger. And it's uh, probably something you wouldn't say out loud, but uh, I mean, it's a fact, right? So I uh, can't really hide it. Uh, but most importantly, these girls are so up for it. Um, so it, this is going to be fun. Yeah, Paige McKenzie, like Damon said, she was echoing those same sentiments. You you went with vets for your last two picks. If you're, say, a Jody Urich shout-off or some of those names that were just on the bubble on the outside, uh, what was your message to them as far as what went into your selection process? Obviously, extremely hard uh, to make these decisions. Uh, I never thought it was going to be this hard, but... Uh, uh, at the end of the day, I looked at dynamics, I looked at strength, I looked at pairings. Um, I mean, certain phone calls are obviously a lot harder than others. Uh, but I feel like the players that just missed out uh, took it well. Uh, they're all with us uh, in uh, kind of their heart and passion for the European team. And um, one thing is the 12 players, they get to lead us in, uh, in Spain, but we have an army behind us of great players that obviously would love to be there, uh, but they are supportive and uh, there's only, like I told them, there's only 11 months until the next time, so just keep doing everything you do this year counts for next year, so uh, yeah, it was it was painful uh, for some uh, and for me obviously to, it feels like you literally kill certain girls' dream, uh, uh, you don't want to be the bad messenger, but uh, from what I understood from previous captains this is the hardest part and I must say it was really hard it comes with carrying the walkie-talkie and wearing that headset as you know Suzanne we, we've seen you know nerves through the years players talk about the nerves in a Solheim Cup Ryder Cup President Cup being different than week-to-week -week LPGA you said in your interview with Sarah earlier you want to create a fun environment how do you create a fun environment for these players to, to perform under that stress well, this is about how you facilitate the entire team, isn't it? So we obviously have 12 teams uh, or 12 players, uh, but more importantly as well, we also have 12 caddies. We have the helping support system. We have physios. And for me, uh, each and every uh, player, a part of the European team, is equally as important. Um, so I'm trying, I mean, 
as a captain, you're trying to facilitate to create the right atmosphere for these girls to go out on the golf course and play their heart out. And uh, I, I have no doubt that they're going to go out there, but just to try and make it fun and lightful um, off the golf course because you, it gets tense, it gets uh, stressful, uh, it gets nerve-wracking. I mean, the adrenaline, the energy gets you uh, at some point. Uh, um, I mean, either it's... Uh, it depends how your matches go as well, but to kind of have it uh, a fun environment uh, inside that team room at the end of the day, in the mornings, before people head out, I think it's vitally important. And um, so I'm trying to kind of get the right personalities in that team room as well. When you take a look at the pendulum in the Solheim Cup from 1994 to 2009, the Americans won seven of nine. They had a dominant run. You've been a big part of Team Europe's rise since 2011, winning four of six. You're trying to now win your third straight. How have things changed inside that team room for Europe to be on this sustained run since 2011? Well, I got to say, each uh, Solheim uh, since 2011 has been awfully close. It's been a putt here or a shot there going uh, one way or the other. Uh, we've been on the on the good side of that draw of the last uh, two ones, one in 19 and uh, the one in Toledo. Uh, but it's hard work. Uh, you need a little bit of luck and obviously playing in Spain, we got uh, the crowd uh, hopefully pulling a little bit extra for the European team, which can kind of be the, the home advantage. Uh, but um, these girls, I mean, we're opposite. Uh, we're facing uh, a feisty, young, new uh, American team that has no fear, and I can only imagine that they're going to come all after us uh, trying to get that cup back to the U.S. So, uh, but the good thing, uh, I don't have to tell these girls to go out and kind of wanting to do a three-peat. These girls, they want it. So... Uh, uh, I'm going to just try and kind of uh, uh, guide them along and um, kind of like, I mean, pairings. We have uh, a lot of great options in within the 12 players. Um, so that's great. Uh, and you got to be open for surprises. Uh, so uh, it's all in the preparations, but you also got to be ready for some, uh, for some sidekicks uh, that's going to surprise you. Suzanne, in my opinion, two of the greatest uppercut fist pumpers of all time are Tiger Woods and Caroline Headwall. What does Caroline bring to this team? Because she is a passionate player. Yeah, I mean, uh, Caroline is a feisty match player. Uh, you don't want to be on the other side. Um, she, she plays with a lot of passion, a lot of heart. She's gutsy. I mean, she takes risk uh, and she kind of she can deal with it. Um, so for me to have Caroline um, part of this team, uh, obviously five Swedes, they know each other well, uh, gives me a lot of wiggle room uh, with the potential pairings uh, as well. Uh, it was a very, uh, I wouldn't say it was an easy choice, but it was a very good choice. Suzanne, it's always fascinating to me how captains approach their leadership style and the conversations they have leading up to team competition. Have you talked with other European captains, either on the women's or men's side, or even leaders in other sports to help you prepare for what's going to be a big week in Spain? Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to learn from each and every one, you know. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to play nine, uh, ten, nine myself, been a part of ten teams. Uh, I mean, you want to take the best from each and every one. I've talked to past Ryder Cup captains. 
but uh, I want the players to take ownership on this team. I want them to kind of feel like they're part of the decisions and obviously the more ownership you can feel as a player, the more you get into it. So this is going to be a huge team effort. Uh, but I think one of my biggest challenges is like we have 12 great players and all 12 can play five sessions. So at some point, some of these great names has to kind of sit out and that's going to be hard as well. But I'm trying to prepare these girls like this is going to be one for all, all for one. Uh, and this is, one, uh, this is going to be what's best for Team Europe. And hopefully we get that right. Suzanne, the putt you made in 2019, one of the moments in Solheim Cup history. Why did you want this role? Why wouldn't you? Uh, I mean, it's such a huge honor to kind of go out and, uh, I don't know, lead this great pack of young, talented uh, European uh, players. Uh, and I don't know if it's been a dream of mine, but it's kind of grown on me as years has gone by and kind of my kind of experience with the uh, Solheim Cup has kind of uh, uh, stacked up. Um, so I feel like now, uh, I'm, I feel like it's a natural time for me to do it now. Uh, it's great that I'm doing it now while I still have a great connections with kind of the players. I know kind of uh, the scoop, what's going on. Uh, I still feel like I'm a part of the player group. So uh, that makes it a little bit easier. And then obviously there's new names uh, uh, popping along and uh, you got to meet them with open arms and have them feel as much part of the team as uh, the ones who's already played seven, eight uh, Solheim Cups. So there's challenges on both ends, uh, but I think the totality, we have players that can kind of look after the young ones and we have hungry new players who wants to kind of take their positions. So this is going to be a fun kind of uh, ride for these, uh, these young new players. Uh, and I think it's going to be a good little kick for the ones who's already been there. Uh, I'd ask you for a sneak preview of what your motivational speech will be like the night before the Solheim <laughs> Cup, but I don't want you to tip your hand. So looking back at all the ones you've been a part of, was there one message you had before the start of play that looking back still really resonates with you that had you excited and focused for the week? There's been several. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, you're probably going to see me laid back, relaxed on the golf course. At least I'll try. <laughs> and uh, what's going to happen inside those four walls in the team room, uh, I'm not going to give you uh, the answer to right now. But I'm going to make sure that I can transcend at least uh, the passion and the energy that I've had. Uh, and I want to get these girls ready uh, in one shape or form, uh, uh, but uh, I guess I can't relieve uh, all my secrets. Well, we have no doubt you'll have those 12 players ready to roll next month. Suzanne, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me.